Welcome to Byline Confidential, a podcast where we talk with journalists about their lives, their work, and their careers. I'm Greg Pratt, reporter in Chicago, and I will tell you right out. I am a man who likes to talk to a man or woman who likes to talk. And this week, we're in Indiana, and we are talking to a crime reporter from the Times of Northwest Indiana. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Um... Lately, I've started introducing myself that way and introducing the podcast because it's easier than editing it in post-audio, which is what I used to do. Would you tell the listener a little bit about yourself? My name is Alvia Malagon, and I have been working at the Times of Northwest Indiana since January of 2013. Um, Before that, I was working at The Ledger in Lakeland, Florida, where I was a crime reporter in probably one of the best places to be a crime reporter, which is Central Florida. And when I moved back to Northwest Indiana, um, I started off as the night reporter, and then I moved up to courts. Did you expect to be a crime reporter? No, not originally. Um, When I was in college, one of the beats that I covered for the Indiana Daily Student was crime. And when I started applying for jobs, I started to look into crime reporting more so just because when I thought back to my experience at the Indiana Daily Student, crime reporting was the most exciting thing that I had done. So I thought it would be quote unquote fun, (laughs) a fun beat. Um, I've kind of learned that that's not really true. Um, But so far, I think I've, I don't want to say I've enjoyed it, but I think I've gotten a better understanding of it, and I feel like I'm starting to understand how things work. You know, a lot of people get their start doing night cops, and, but not as much anymore, but back in the day, that used to be how like everybody had to start. Mm-hmm. I think partly as like a hazing ritual, <laughs> you know, to, to weed out people, but... Um, you know, uh, before we go into Lakeland a little, I guess I guess the, the, the thing I'm curious with to start is, is how'd you get into news? Into news? Well, I always wanted to be a writer, mostly just because I was a book nerd. Um, I remember I was probably one of the few kids that hung out at their libraries as a child. <laughs> and even when I was in high school, I was part of the small group of people that would hang out at the high school library before classes. So I was always reading, but I knew that writing books and novels would be very difficult because I needed, at the end of the day, to make money somehow. So (laughs) So you went into journalism. Yeah, so I went into journalism. (laughs) Um, That's not quite the way this works. Yeah, I'm learning that, but... I get paid in peanuts. I don't know about you. (laughs) Sometimes they give me money. Um, So, yeah, I just started doing journalism. And I can't say, like, some people, when I read their biographies or when I read, like, their bios, they always say, like, oh, my family always had all these newspapers that we read every morning. I can't say that that's the case for my family. But um, I think storytelling is always, like, an important factor I think for any family like storytelling from your grandmother from your aunts gossiping in a way that's sort of passed down so I've always liked stories and I always like how they take you to all these different places and kind of show you how different people live. Were you into um, nonfiction over fiction growing up? I was always into fiction actually Um, so not too not to hate too much on East Chicago, but I grew up in East Chicago, Indiana, which is in Northwest Indiana. Um, I really hated it when I was growing up. So actually, books were a, a way to escape that a little bit. Um, I think now it's like a love-hate relationship, but I always really loved reading about what other people were doing in different countries. And I actually, when I went to college, I studied international studies because it's still something like I love traveling. I just love seeing how different people live. Was that your major? 
It was my minor. Okay. And so your major was journalism? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know when it clicked that, you know, okay, the way I'm going to make money, the way I'm going to write is journalism? Well, when I started off college, I remember freshman year, I started at the Indiana Daily Student almost immediately. At what school? At Indiana University, Bloomington. Um, Back when it was called, when they had their own journalism school, now it's called the IU Media School. Um, They teach you how to tweet, right? Yeah. (laughs) And how to make podcasts. Um, So I started at the Daily Student newspaper almost immediately, and they do this process where they put you through GA, general assignments. And it's an editor that just works with you on your first three stories to basically make sure you don't screw up. (laughs) Um, And I remember my first edit was horrible. I mean, the story I wrote was just like not a news story. And I remember going back to my dorm room and I was like super bummed. It was the first couple weeks I was still sort of getting to know people and fitting in in this new environment. And I just remember being, like, really depressed because I was like, oh, the thing that I came here to study and to do, I'm not that great at. And being a kid who was, like, honor society, AP classes, I was used to being really good at everything. So it was sort of a shock. Um, But I don't know. I just, like, at some point committed to doing it. And I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get better. Um, There were people, certainly the... GA editor who walked me through those first three stories and then there was actually um, an editor from the student paper who was from Gary Um, and it turned out her mom worked at the same school that my sister worked at so we had that northwest region connection and she really helped me out. Uh, Two two things one is that I I do want to circle back and um and see if you remember the embarrassing details of what the story was that was no good. If you, if you do remember, don't. But, but the other thing is, um, you were talking about your family, and I should have asked. Um, and they were storytellers and gossipers and stuff like that. So, like, um, uh, do either of them work, either of your parents work in writing or news or anything? They're just, it's just a... Nope. Um, my dad, when he used to work, he was actually a mechanic. Um, my mom works at a daycare, taking care of infants, very small children. So no, no real storytelling. When I was thinking about that, I was sort of thinking when, um, so my family is originally from Mexico. I was the only one that was born here in the United States. And, um, when I, when I've gone back to Mexico, me and my sister, we always have this joke because my grandma always tells these really depressing stories. (laughs) pretty much every single story that she would tell us when we would go visit you know it would sound really like uplifting like there was something that she was getting to and at the end of each story it was like then the person died (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) I don't know when I think back to that it's like well I guess that's a form of storytelling you know she was telling me the lives of the people in her community that she grew up with well, you know, I'm Mexican, too. Uh, I was raised by my mom, who's Mexican, from a small town in Michoacan. And so um, they're not writers. They're not they're not news people or anything. But, but they're storytellers, and, and they're all mm-hmm. about the chisme, you know, mm-hmm. and so, which is uh, Spanish for gossip for all the gringos listening. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Because, you know, it's funny. If, if you can't tell a story verbally, you know, how can you tell a good story written you know like it's sort of the same skill it's this, this idea of uh can you tell a story mm-hmm. which is like the first most important thing to figure out at some point yeah i remember one editor when i i don't remember the exact editor but i remember someone actually told me that they were like in order read back your story imagine you telling this story to someone and write it that way. So that's a good way of looking at things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's like... And not everything is a story that you can quote-unquote tell in a bar. But if you can't tell it in a bar, you should think about where you can tell it, right? Yeah. But um, now the embarrassing question. You know, do you remember what that story was about? Um, I don't remember the very first story. I remember one of them was... One of my GA stories was about 
a fraternity, some sort of business fraternity. And I remember there was, um, if you remember back in the day, there was this movement for slow food where it was like <laughs> basically you, you, it was like more focused on like local foods and knowing where your food came from, which I guess is still a trend. But back then, it was some sort of like slow food movement. There was a new class focusing on that. So I remember I wrote about that class. But I don't remember the exact details. I probably have blocked them out of my memory. You just, just remember it was yeah. no good? I just remember the panicked looks on the GA editor's <laughs> face. And um, I, he looks like in New York now and is probably doing way better. But I always like feel bad. I feel like I owe him like a drink and a dinner or something. <laughs> was he, um, who was this guy? Um, his name was um, Chip Cutter and he was the GA editor. It was sort of his job to just read everyone's horrible first stories or I mean some people were probably better writers and um, had a better background in newspapers but it was just sort of his job he kind of guided you through your first three stories and then released you out into the madness of student run papers (laughs) he must have been helpful yeah you know, because, like, you could be two people in that job, right? You could be an asshole, and you could not be an asshole. Yeah, he and, was uh, he was really patient. I remember <laughs> it took a really long time to edit my first story. I was there for at least an hour. So. Yeah, well, so um, what was what was next after surviving that? Um, I mean, from there, I was just... I wrote for the campus desk. I remember um, I did... I covered cultures at the campus, so that was just covering the different um, cultural houses that they had, the, the hundreds of like cultural groups. Then I did um, crime for a semester. Um, from there, I was like assistant campus editor. I was the features editor one semester, so kind of a little bit of everything. Then, of course, I did the summer internships. Was there um, was there uh, anything that stands out to you from your time in college, like stories, growth type of things, good restaurants in the <laughs> university town? Like, was there a point where you started to get comfortable with, with, you know, I don't suck? Yeah, I think I um, hit that point. I think it was my junior year. And I was accepted into the um, the New York Times Student Journalism Institute. So I did that. It was like a two-week program, but it was with editors from the New York Times and reporters um, from the New York Times and the company, because at the time they owned smaller newspapers. So I think when I got accepted into that and I went through the program and survived and didn't get like kicked out or no one said, you're horrible, leave, it was kind of like, Okay, I think I could do this. Um, and also just kind of meeting all these different journalists um, that were Latino because there weren't a lot at Indiana University. I think that also really helped. And just seeing like what different kids were doing at different universities um, who were studying the same thing I was. I think that was really helpful. Were you... Um, see, I, I know a couple people that went through that program um, but I don't. But I've never pumped them for details about that program. But like, was it good? Was it helpful? Was it? Fun? It was amazing. Um, I remember walking away and thinking that it was, it was the equivalent of a religious journalism experience because it was just twenty four hours of journalism. I mean, the the goal of it was just to create stories. Um, you had a big project that you had to do and you were assigned an editor to help you walk through the process. So that was the first time that I did um, a longer story because all of my story had been sort of like daily breaking news. So um, I remember for that program, I did a story about um, immigrants that were living in that area um, and just like their adjustments to, because it was in Tucson, Arizona. So It was about their adjustment there. And then we also had um, a website. So we did a little bit of daily stuff. um, But mostly it was just like focusing on projects and stuff. Any chance you worked with Marisa Gerber down there? 
No, but her name is familiar. I think she um, was in the program after me, and I've seen her byline and stuff. So yeah, she's at the LA Times now. She mm-hmm. was at the Arizona Daily Star for a while. She's from that area, and so she did. Anyway, I thought I would ask. Hi, Marisa. <laughs> so, um, uh, do you remember? And and this is probably a stupid question too, but like, did you have to submit clips to get in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember what you submitted? No, I do not. Um, was it? It must not have been earth shattering, is it? No. Um, I remember one of the clips I always like sent around um, was a story I actually wrote when I was an intern at the Post Tribune, um, previously located in Maryville, Indiana, now just Northwest Indiana, owned by the Tribune now. Um, and it was the story that I did in Hammond, Indiana. It was this program being put on by a group, and it was about sort of telling parents what are the first signs of suspecting your teenage son or daughter is involved in gang violence. But it was, it sounds corny, but it was the most dramatic thing ever. They had these people acting like uh, this guy had just, like, gotten shot. It was just so dramatic. (laughs) Parents were crying. There were people in tears. And um, I just remember, like, it was... Even though it was just like a short, quick thing, because it was so dramatic, there was so much to work with. Um, so I remember I used to submit that story a lot. So was that like one of those scared straight type of things? Yeah. Okay. But for parents, not for kids. So yeah, so less scared straight and more like scared, uh, scared to scared um, until you make your kids straight, straight or something. Yeah. Like, be involved in your kids' lives, because yeah. this might happen. Because they might get shot. Yeah. Uh, did you... So, growing up in uh, East Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see that type of thing? Did you grow up in a rough area? I did grow up in a rough area, but I don't think I realized how rough it was until... Actually, when I started working at the Times, um, there was a reporter here. She, um, She's really great. She did investigative reporting for us and she's since moved down to the indie star and who's that um marissa yeah I, I know who you're talking about and one of the last stories that she did for us was this it was like a three-day project where it followed this family um who was involved in gangs mostly like the imperial gangsters in east chicago and i remember reading her story and just being like oh my god that shooting that's described happened down my down my house like on my block like and there was a reference to someone who got killed um one of the people one of her sources described seeing that shooting and that person that was killed was one of my brother's friends So it was like kind of all these things and I kind of started to realize, I guess maybe, I don't know, I lived like in my own bubble of being a nerd, Um, (laughs) but I didn't really realize how dangerous my neighborhood was. I mean, I saw people, there was definitely like um, a wave, I would say, you know, sometimes things were a little bit more dangerous and you would kind of see the shady looking people not be in the neighborhood so much. So it changed. Yeah, I mean, being in the little village in Chicago is sort of similar, you know. And I was uh, probably a bit of a nerd, too, so I, you know. Um, I probably saw you at the library sometime, I don't know. Probably, <laughs> you know, um, when we were plotting our gang strategies. Yeah. You know, because we're secretly gang leaders. Yeah. But um, you more than me, you're the boss. <laughs> but so um, so um, you do this, you do this thing, and... Um, you do this thing with the New York Times student journalism program and institute thing, you know. Thing is always such a good word because you can use it for anything, right? Uh, you're, you're in this program, you're in school, and then um, what other internships did you do? So I worked at the Career Journal in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, that one was a really great experience, too, because it was essentially you were just like a staff reporter and you just wrote for the metro section, um, I got to work. I actually enjoyed working in the Southern Indiana Bureau the most because you got to churn out like the most copy and they would give you more stories. Um, so I did that. I did the um, 
Scripps Howard Foundation Newswire in D.C., so you got to work in D.C. for a semester, which was pretty awesome. Um, I got to see the White House. I didn't get to see um, the president. I did see from afar Michelle Obama, so that was pretty cool. Like I said, I did the Post Tribune when it was um, still in Maryville. And then, oh, I did a summer in London program through the J School. And I worked for this. At the time, it was a startup. It had just started a couple months ago. It was It's called Demotics. And it was sort of this new idea of doing a citizen journalism photo wire. But it was actually pretty cool because that was the summer that... There was um, all that crazy uprising in Iran um, over the elections. And I remember some of um, our contributors were there and taking photos. And their photos ended up getting picked up um, by some of the British newspapers. And also, I remember, like, the Wall Street Journal took one of our photos. Are they still around? Yes, but I don't think anyone that I worked with is there. I think at some point it was sold to someone else. So I have no idea who owns it now, but I think it's still around. Okay. Um, you know, um, one, there, there's there's a whole lot of different careers, obviously. And yours is sort of you've gone around to a bunch of different places, right, and picked up some, like, different things. Like, I'm sure the Kentucky paper is different than the than the... Post Tribune and it's different than the Northwest Times, you know, and and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, do you think that's good for people is to go work at different places and see what different people work like? Yes, and one of my even though I did work in different places, one of my biggest regrets is not exploring more, like maybe doing an inter- internship at a radio station or doing a magazine or something like that because. Um, my background, aside from the internship at Demotics, a lot of it is print-based. Um, but I wish I would have done a little bit more, like in radio or, like I said, magazines or maybe just the website. Or work for Vice or something. Yeah. <laughs> and write some weird-ass story. Yeah, <laughs> and get to curse. Yeah. And get to curse, yeah. Um, so uh, your your first job job, was that at the Lakeland paper? Mm-hmm. How'd you get that? So sort of through the Journalism Institute, because at the Times, the New York Times owned this chain of news of smaller newspapers, and the Ledger was actually one of them. So they were part of the New York Times company. So when I got my first paycheck, I said the New York Times company, <laughs> and it was pretty exciting. Um, when I was there, it actually got sold, and since I've left, it's gotten sold again so it's changed owners um but yeah one of the editors um at the time she was the managing editor then she became the editor of the ledger um and I just sort of saw like an opening through journalism jobs and messaged her and said oh I think I'm I think I'm gonna apply for it do you have any advice and she was like oh yeah definitely apply and then I did and within a couple days I had an interview they fly you out? No, just the phone interview. And then, um, yeah, I had never actually been to Florida. So it was when I moved there was my first time seeing Florida. <laughs> had you, were you, um, aside from like the stuff in college, were you like a traveling family or something? A traveling family? <laughs> like a circus family or something? Like... <laughs> no, um, I did travel in college a lot. So first the family, um, the only traveling we really ever did was to go to Mexico. And a lot of people who might read like the travel section of the New York Times and look at Mexico, probably look at all these cool resorts, hotels. That's not how traveling was with my family. And it might be the same for your family. It was more so visiting relatives that still live there because I still have a bunch of cousins. Um, my aunts live there. And it was also pretty religious. It was like, let's go look at... Um, this core church that has the saint dedicated to this very specific thing. Um, so in college, I so I did the summer in London. Then I signed up for all these travel classes that started, um, I think, a little bit before I got to school. So um, I did a 
a class that went to Chile, um, and basically your job was just to study the media in Latin America, and I was like, I love Latin America, so okay, I'll do this. Um, I did a, a class that traveled to Kenya, and that one was really cool because um, it was a little bit more reporting-based, and we actually got to do stories. We worked with um, this program for um, the IU Medical School students that do a program there and help run the clinic that's focused on HIV and AIDS. So we did a lot of stories pretty much just focusing on the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, so I did that, and then Scripps Howard, they all, every single year they have this contest where you just like write an essay about why you want to be a journalist, and if they like it, they send you to Japan for a couple weeks. So I did that. You got to go to Japan for a few weeks? So. Yeah. Um, Japan's a weird place. Yeah, it is. <laughs> have you been there? No, but I've, I've, uh, I'm a huge pro wrestling nerd, and... There's a big pro wrestling world in Japan. It's one of the three big wrestling countries, you know, the USA, Japan, and Mexico. Um, yeah, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make the listener listen to me talk about, you know, Kenta Kobashi or something. But, um, but no, uh, was that ever, um, you know, like like being kind of a nerdy kid from like East Indiana, was that ever hard or or anything? You know, traveling and starting to see things like, or were you just ready to get out there? I was ready. <laughs> um, I think it gave me a different perspective, for sure. Um, I remember, well, a lot of these countries, you could get away with not speaking the language. Of course, I spoke Spanish, um, so Chile was not a problem. Um, Kenya, they spoke English. Even though Japan, pretty much everyone spoke English or understood you. Um, the only time I ever had a real like language barrier was um, me and my friend went to Paris for a weekend when we did the London program and it was so difficult to navigate everything that by the end of the weekend we were just like super frustrated both of us just wanted to cry and like hate we hated each other but we didn't it was just like how frustrated we were at not being able to communicate with anyone um, you know, we ate meals where we didn't even know what we were eating because we were just, like, pointing at things. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll take that. Um, so I think it gave me a different perspective on what my parents experienced because even though now they're a little bit better and they know English, I think when they first came to this country, kind of realizing that that was what their life was like every day it's sort of shocking and definitely made me like appreciate them more and give them I think more respect for what they went through yeah I would presume that they came here um you know with uh not knowing the language and not really knowing the culture and stuff and having to navigate that Mm -hmm. same as my family and that's probably not very easy. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's something that I don't know if take for granted is the right word, but it's something we haven't experienced, mm-hmm. you know, in any real way except for trips. So that's that's kind of weird to think about sometimes, you know, like stop and think about how people had lives that had challenges before you were even born, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, tell me about Florida. How... Um, what was your introduction for? So you just get in your car and drive down there? Yeah, me and my sister. Um, she drove down with me, and at first it was a lot of fun. Then we hit Georgia, and it was just miserable. Um, <laughs> so my first introduction to Florida was pretty stereotypical. Well, what, what was the problem with Georgia? Um, there was just a ton of traffic. I see, I see. And then after that, it was like we've been on the road for so long. We just got frustrated. Um but my first introduction to Florida, I remember my sister was looking out the car and she's like, man, there's a lot of trailer homes around here. She was like, I think that's where you're going to end up living. Like, you're just going to live at a trailer park. So I then started to panic. But then the next day I woke up, I saw the light. I was like, OK, that was just one part of the community. Um Florida was pretty crazy, but it was also amazing because their public records laws just give you everything and anything. Um, When I worked down there, I sat across from the courts reporter. I remember he would just come with like stacks 
of like discovery that he got from murder cases and stuff like that. Um, while I was down there, there was an officer who um, was killed, and it led to like, of course, like it always does, um, this like massive manhunt for um, the alleged shooters. Um, so I remember when that case was filed and they eventually did charge someone, um, me and a couple other reporters, like we just read through like transcripts of interviews that the officers did. And it was just sort of like amazing that we had all of this information and we were able to write about it. Um, was that your first big breaking news story down there? Well, there were so many crazy things in Florida. Like, whenever I would tell people about the stories I was writing about, it was like one thing was crazier than the other. Um, I would say that one was probably my first most intense story just because um, I remember I was working the night shift when it actually broke on the scanner that it was like officer down. And then I just looked at, like, the night reporter and we were like, oh, shit. And I just, like, ran out, and by then it was crazy because police had blocked off everything. Everyone, like, the entire city just, like, shut down because of this shooting. Um, So it was definitely, like, one of the most intense things. But there were also, like, really other crazy stories um, that I covered down there with some of my colleagues. Um, One that stands out, I remember this kid. Um, Well, he wasn't a kid. He was actually, like, 20-something. Um, but he was living with his grandmother, and um, he, like, severely, like, stabbed her. Even used, like, an arrow to kill her. And it was, like, just really horrific. Um, but it was, like, as if that wasn't horrific enough, then he just put her body in her bedroom and closed the door. And um, their uncle, well, his uncle, the woman's son, lived with them. Um, and he had no idea that this had happened. And, you know, he thought that his mom, which was the suspect's grandmother, was at work because she worked at the hospital. So it wasn't uncommon for her to work really long hours. Um, so, yeah, he had dinner. They kind of went about, like, just normal life. They watched TV. And all this whole time, like, this woman had been brutally killed and was just in her bedroom so I remember that one was like a really crazy one who discovered her um well eventually so the suspect who did it he ran he sort of like ran away to this other town and he was trying to take this underage girl with him that he had a relationship with um that didn't work out and then at one point he called his biological father and sort of just like spilled the beans about what happened and then the when the father realized this, he was like, are you telling me the truth? Did this really happen? So the, the father kind of called, um, started calling police and was like, hey, this is what my son is telling me. I don't know if it's true. But then the police went there and they did a, well, a, well, a welfare check, essentially, and discovered her body. So, yeah. So that was just, like, one story. Yeah. <laughs> um. Then there was, like, a lot of crazy stories. I remember when that happened, there was also, like, this really bad homicide um, of this boyfriend who allegedly just, like, beat to death his girlfriend. Um, I remember that happened, like, within hours of each other. Like, both stories broke. Um, There was this really young girl who was pregnant and for some reason hit her pregnancy and then um, ended up allegedly killing her newborn baby. Um, I remember that was just like a really crazy story. So it was just, it wasn't, um, you know, it's not like the volume of crime that you have up here, certainly not anywhere near what Chicago has. Um, But it was just like, the severity of what was going on, it was just crazy. Um, another case, I remember a woman buried her husband, um, killed her husband, and then buried I was, him. I was really hoping you would say she buried him alive. <laughs> no, it wasn't that crazy, but she killed her husband. Um, she alleged that he had 
committed suicide, but I think later on she eventually <laughs> took a plea deal. Um, but not only did she bury the husband, then she like planted all these herbs on top of it. So it was like, oh man, this man was like buried on top of you know like just like regular gardening herbs, like cilantro or something. Yeah. And so you know she's like, hey guys, let's let's have some cilantro. Let's, yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. Um, you know, I hope if I ever if 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 anyone ever chooses to murder me, I hope they bury me alive. <laughs> you know, but that's just a that's just a random thought. <laughs> you seem like a nice kid, and so and I say kid, of course, because because we're kids. You know, I was laughing when you when you said the twenty twenty something's not a kid. Of course, it's a kid, right? Yeah. But um, according um, to AP Style, no, and according to the copy editors. It's not a kid, but yes, to me, I knew it is. Well, you know, <laughs> depends on what he did yeah. in in the story. He's a kid or not, right? Yeah. But but you seem like a very nice person. Was it uh, hard getting into crime stories? Mm. No, not really. Um, I don't know. I'm even though I am really nice. I don't. Well, I like to think that I'm nice. I don't know. Maybe people. This, out this there, is where you say yeah. I'm not very nice. <laughs> um. You know, I'm not, like, super emotional, so I think that helps. Um, I think sometimes just, like, when you're reporting on crime, like, you're going through affidavits, like, it's not that hard. I think it is a little bit hard when um, you actually do, like, some reporting, like, knocking on doors, or you, like, happen to actually interview the family. I think that's when things get more difficult. Um, I remember one case in Florida I was writing a story about how it was like I think it was like the one or two year anniversary of this unsolved case um, but really it should have been solved because there were a ton of people that were in this intersection when this guy got gunned down but yet nobody would kind of come forth and say something um, so I remember I interviewed the guy's mom and like the, the whole time I was at her house she was just crying nonstop. Like, I could barely get anything out of her. And it was just, like, really difficult, you know, um, just because I don't know how to respond to that. Like, I didn't know what the appropriate thing to say or to do was. Um, like, can you pat her on the back yeah, or something? Yeah, like, can I give you a hug? I'm not sure. So I just kind of sat there and, like, listened to whatever she had to say, you know. But I think those situations are difficult. Yeah, and I'm sure you've talked to more than your fair share of families at this point, right? You know? Like, yeah. uh, it's it's not a... That's not fun. No. I mean, I guess that's what we have to do, but that's not fun. Yeah. Um, there was, like, this... Um, I think from Deadspin, someone recently wrote... This week? Yeah. After the Oregon shooting. About how reporting is ugly... Um, and it sort of touches on that about how, you know, you sort of have to do this work that no one really wants to do. Like, you know, it's like always difficult to, what's the appropriate way to approach someone or even talk to someone? And I think sometimes you also have to ask like difficult questions, especially sometimes if the person who ended up getting killed was, um, you know, maybe they were into gang activity or maybe they were doing drugs or selling drugs so it's like you have to kind of touch on that awkwardness where it's like yes the person died but also you know they weren't perfect but then again I mean that is life no one is perfect so yeah sure I find that people are surprisingly forthcoming and honest about things like that and People don't always get mad. I've, I've had to ask people, you know, at, like, crime scenes um, in Chicago, you know, where, where, where are they involved with a gang? You know, that that's what people are going to say. Is that true? And nobody ever, like, really jumps down your throat about that. Maybe it's because of Chicago, because of the culture. It makes sense to ask that, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, but because that's such a big source of the violence. But, but people, I'm always surprised by how nice people generally are under some terrible circumstances you know mm-hmm. like it, it's good that, that people people understand you're doing your job but it still isn't fun yeah um i guess the thing is like i don't want to stereotype people like i don't want to um 
sometimes I think I feel awkward asking those questions because I don't want them to think that I'm assuming just because they're a minority or they live in a certain area that they're involved in a gang or they're doing something wrong or something like that. So I think I'm maybe overly conscious of that. So that's why I'm like, I just feel awkward sometimes. I mean, you have to do it, but it's just awkward getting to that. Well, it's it's tough too because you're trying to distill, you're trying to get facts about a person's life, and you're starting at like the end of their life, which mm-hmm. is like its own story, right? Like like, it's why obituaries are challenging too, because or or like deaf, not obituaries because an obituary, but uh, death stories, you know, because how how do you encapsulate something, in something that is, you know, like especially if it's an eventful death, like a like getting killed, you know, yeah. or that's the story, but that's um. Um, like like I like I've said a few times, it's no fun. I'm I'm I can be redundant sometimes. But when you were, um, how long were you in Florida? I was there for probably almost two years, but not quite. Um, I went there. I started there June 2011, and I left there January 2013 when I started here. Now, I don't know if we touched on it or not, but are there any, like, highlights for you personally and professionally in Florida that we should talk about before we talk about? Um, probably yeah. just covering the officer-related shooting just because that was such a huge deal. Um, this other cool story, which um, I wrote towards the end, was... So one of my jobs, um, there were two cops reporters, and... The other cop reporter, he focused on covering the sheriff's department, and I covered the Lakeland City Police Department. And one of the things that we did was we would look through internal investigations. Um, So that was really cool because, first of all, like I said, gossip is always sort of good. So one of the things I did every month is I would request... um, the reports of all the completed IE investigations, and then um, I would choose the ones that I was interested in. Like sometimes um, <clears throat> there were officers that we would look for um, just because they were involved in previous investigations, or sometimes it was like, well, if something was substantiated, then there might be something to look into. Um, so from that sort of just everyday reporting, I found this story of this guy who, um, he was just like talking on his cell phone. It was late at night and I guess an officer um, started questioning him and wanted to search him and the guy was like, well, what's your probable cause for wanting to search me? Like, you know, he was just like, obviously he like was aware of what officers could and could not do and he was like, well, I want to know why do you want to search me? So I guess the officers took that the wrong way and, um, they ended up citing him for spitting on the sidewalk. And he was actually, like, arrested and everything just for that citation. And it eventually got dropped, but the whole story was about that. About just, like, how it sort of escalated, but it was also sort of just, like, very silly. Like, citing someone for spitting on the sidewalk, that was, like on the books as a like city ordinance but it was like from back in the day you know it wasn't anything that was like actually being enforced that's what people would call a bullshit charge yeah so is that the thing that um is that that's a a bullshit charge that you get for asking what probable causes you know yeah was that um was that story I, i bet that story got a lot of clicks yeah i would imagine so um and I remember the courts reporter told me that a lot of people, like, in the courts building were, like, joking, like, oh, don't arrest me because I spit, or, you know, like, kind of... <laughs> but, I mean, it, like, raises questions, right? Like, you can't cite someone just for questioning. I mean, they have the right to question. We do live in America. <laughs> um, for now. Yeah. But, you know, the... Uh... <clears throat> Yeah, that's funny. Who taught you or where'd you get the idea to regularly check on that? Just something you picked up developing your beat? Um, that was really the other cops reporter. Um, he was there. Um, I think it maybe it might have been something that was just like passed down, like the cops reporters have to do this. Um, so when I started, my coworker, his name was Matthew, um, 
he said, oh, I'll cover the sheriff's department and um, you could cover the Lakeland PD. And yeah, just from there, I kind of, it was sort of like a routine thing. Sure. Every month, um, I would just look at it and stuff. There's like all sorts of little things like that that we all do, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you pass beat to beat, you know, that people have to learn and you sort of have to make a beat your own. But there's also stuff that gets handed down to you and traditions that we all must honor, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't want to get too philosophical, <laughs> but uh, uh, um, why did you come back here? Because I got a job offer. <laughs> um, Do you want to be back home or closer to home? Yeah. So, like I was saying, I hated East Chicago. But as it turned out, I didn't really necessarily hate Northwest Indiana as much as I thought I did. And I also I missed my family. So, I just came back. And uh, did you get hired as the night cops reporter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that like a thing? Um, I mean, how, how did that go? Like, what was your day like? So it was a 3 to two eleven shift. Um, it was mostly just following breaking news. Um, if a fire broke out, shooting, or if some random breaking news happened. A lot of it also was um, reporters, if they had any, like, missing holes in their stories like if someone they were waiting for someone to call them back but it was already like 7 p.m and they had to go home i would take the call or i would call the person back so it was sort of filling in a little bit but also doing a lot of just breaking news sure did you like it i did like it um but i knew i wanted to do courts just because um going back to florida like i said i sat right across from the courts reporter and I figured out that, yeah, reporting breaking news and crime sort of exciting in a way, but I kind of figured out that the court's reporter is the person who kind of sees things to their completion and also just gets like the really juicy and good details of what's actually going on or why something actually happened. So I knew I wanted to do um, courts, and um, when I got here, someone was already on that beat, but then they retired and as soon as they announced their retirement i was like hey i'm interested (laughs) in this position how do i go about getting it and they just gave it to me had you had you expressed that interest before um no actually i haven't because um when i was in florida the courts reporter that was there had been there for so long and it didn't really look like he was leaving anytime soon Um, But actually, after I left, he did leave like a year or two later. Um, And when I was here, the reporter that was doing courts before me, she was very like established. Like she had done this for a lot of years. It wasn't like she was some newbie or um, short timer. (laughs) Um, So I kind of thought she was pretty much here for the long haul. And then she retired. So then I stepped up. Um. And how long have you been doing that now? Um, this past May was a year, so a year and like a couple months. Um, you've done some, some um, like, you know, one of the big things you've written about, right, is like, or maybe it's not, but like I think it is, is the heart, is the Gary stuff. You know, with like the, did you, you write about the serial killer, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Is that like one of the biggest things you've written about up here? Uh, yes, I will say alleged serial killer, just so... Um, you're you're absolutely correct, and I also don't mean to uh, come victim, the alleged serial killer. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the big stories, um, probably since I've been here, that I've covered. Um, I would say that one, and then the other capital case is also another officer who was killed. Um, but definitely, I think... Um, the Darren Van cases and the women who were found just because it I think it was like so sad a lot of the details um one of the ones that stand out I mean there were seven women so all of them have like their individual stories but have they all been identified at this point mm-hmm, okay. yeah um but he has not been charged in all of them he's only charged in two of the homicides um Tierra Beatty I think maybe just because um 
I, I don't know, maybe like the family just talked to me more, but I remember her story was she had been missing since January of 2014. And um, her boyfriend, Marvin, had pretty much spent the whole time like looking for her. It was like within the week, the family and him knew that she was missing. Like she had some problems of mental health problems, um, some drug issues in the past but it was like pretty obvious that this was more than just like her going somewhere to do drugs and coming back um so for months they like searched for her um marvin told me that he heard rumors from people that she was actually dead in an abandoned building that someone had left her there so he was like looking in all this abandoned buildings but it's like such an overwhelming job because it, there's thousands of them in gary um and then for her to actually be found in an abandoned building. And um, I've actually, me and the photographer, when the story first broke, we interviewed him at his house. And then we went to the abandoned house where Tierra was found. Um, so the photographer can take some photos. And it was just like a five-minute drive. So it was like the whole time he was like searching for her. And she was just five minutes away. Yeah. And I remember, like, the ma- the mom was just, like, so heartbroken just because um, her body was just, like, so bad. Um, you know, they, like, pretty much had to cremate her. Was that, um, was he looking for her and did he hear the rumor that she was going to be dead in an abandoned building before the guy got arrested? Oh, yeah. He heard about it, like, months before. Um it was just sort of like this rumor that was going around. And I mean, he was, it wasn't like he was just sitting on this information. Like he talked to police. Sure. And he had filed a report. But um, I don't know, like for one reason or another, like it never panned out. I think he told me um, they have a gag order. So it's like it's been kind of hard to like talk to officials about this and to verify things. But he told me that. Um, the officers actually had questioned one of Tierra's friends who was possibly the person spreading this rumor or spreading this information as to like, hey, where did this information come from? But I don't think she was, from my understanding, she wasn't very cooperative. It's kind of wild to think that, you know, in Gary, which for anybody listening that doesn't know Gary, I mean, Gary used to be a great city and now it's not. And it's like half abandoned and very poor and very corrupt and very, there's a lot of crime there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if any, that's all accurate, right? Um, um, yeah, somewhat. <laughs> but, not everyone, but yeah, there's, yeah there is crime. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm going to say there's mm-hmm. everyone. I'm just saying that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really troubled town. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and the, the, I mean, the, the detail, the very specific detail that's like tells everything is that there are thousands of abandoned homes. Mm-hmm. And I think um, um, I think I read that it was it was some crazy percentage. Do you know what percentage of the buildings in that? Like, um, I probably should know it off the top of my head because I've written it so much, <laughs> um, but I don't have it. But I mean, it is thousands. Um, they actually they created a website to track all of the houses. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but the idea that like in this town, that there's a town where people are talking about how, yeah, there are bodies in abandoned houses, and it turns out that there are. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. It is, and. Um, when this all broke, I was trying to look back, but I was never able to find it because I remember there's like a couple Facebook pages that um, various people, I don't know who run them, but who just focus on Gary Crime News. And um, now it's more so like posting pages. But at one point, one of them was, it was more so like they were doing their own sort of like community news. Like they would report someone's house got burglarized. And I recall there was, like, some sort of post where they, like, speculated that there was a serial killer in Gary. And I was trying to find it because I was, like, I I remember, like, I sort of, like, read it at the time. And I sort of dismissed it as, like, one of these, like, wild rumors that people, like, urban legends people always have about different towns and stuff. But then it was, like, well, how did that person know or, like... Like, I kind of wanted to look back and see what information they had, but I was never able to find it. I mean, there was a, there was a news organization, I think it might have been Bloomberg, that 
had run statistical analysis on certain data and they they wrote a letter to the Gary Police Department or something saying that they thought there was a serial killer in Gary. Oh yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Um yes, because I remember I looked into that and I was um, trying to see if any of the women who were found were on that list because they. I remember they did like a list. They said these are all the missing persons cases, um, blah blah blah. And I remember I looked at it. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's like just a couple weeks ago there was. Um, this crazy arrest that happened um, turned out like this family from Wisconsin, this um, mother had like allegedly killed her daughter and came to Gary to dump the body. And for years, the person was just a Jane Doe at the county um, coroner's office because she wasn't able to be identified. So it's just like sort of crazy um, when you think of just like how much like sadness and tragedy has happened because I mean um, the van cases and the women that's just like one part like it's not the first time Gary has had a serial killer which is the craziest thing Um, and then there's also just like so many like individual stories um, that have happened that are really sad so I don't know it's like it's sort of um, It's like on top of all of that, then there's like all these complex problems. It just makes me really glad that I'm not the person that's in charge of figuring everything out. (laughs) Sure. I covered covered a shooting in Gary where somebody had moved to Gary from Chicago and his house got broken into. And he was going around accosting everybody, allegedly, um, because he said that you know who broke into my house who broke into my house and this teenager he was either 13 or 15 he was 13 he laughed at him because he was like you know um you know what do you i I don't remember what i don't think there was ever a quote but my understanding from talking to family and stuff was that it was sort of like a people's houses get broken into man like Mm -hmm. well why are you getting so worked up about it type of thing and the guy went around the house and came back and shot him dead that's like that's tremendously senseless if you know um the charge was dismissed though against him was it yeah for uh do you remember for what grounds um there was i believe there was like a missing witness which was like there was a witness who saw everything. I'm sure you probably know who the person is if you read the probable cause affidavit, but um, it was actually, I think, like a friend of the 13-year-old boy, but for some reason, I don't remember, I don't think he recanted, but I remember they weren't able to track him because it was actually supposed to go to trial earlier this year. Yeah, that's it, it, it's just crazy on a lot of levels, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... That's that's just not a that's just not a good situation, but um but so so that's that's sort of my encounter with Gary as a reporter, but um were you so um so and uh, I would assume you got onto the the alleged serial killer through the courts right you know or because you were a court reporter by that point yeah um our other night rep- well the night reporter who works now Sarah Reese. She was the one that I was at, that was actually following the story when it broke initially in the weekend when it was like the coroner's office was releasing the news releases, you know, Jane Doe found this place. And then it, by Monday, which is when I started working, it was like crazy, the number of people. And I was like, okay, this is more than just like one or two people. This has turned into like a huge investigation. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, through her sort of sourcing, we already had an idea of who the defendant was. So my job was like to do background info and stuff. And I think they had like a press conference later. So it was sort of just like a team effort. Of course. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we are getting near uh, time. But what um what other highlights you have? Or like things things you would like to talk about? As far as, like, your career or something. Anything we haven't touched on? Anything that's interesting? Anything interesting? Anything interesting. We've probably talked about everything that's interesting, right? Probably not. That's not a great question. Uh, I mean, do you have any closing thoughts for, like, journalists or something? For journalists? For all journalists. You have a lot of responsibility on your hands at this exact moment. Um. 
Like anything in specific, just or just like cosmically, like in the whole <laughs> universe, you know? No, I'm uh, I'm being silly, I guess. You know, I guess uh, to get an answer to a question, you should ask a question. Um, I have enjoyed talking to you, mm-hmm. and if people want to um, find you or follow you or read more about some of your stories uh, as they go forward, uh, what's the best way to follow you? Um, Twitter. It's my first and last name, E-L-V-I-A-M-A-L-A-G-O-N, and Twitter, so yeah. Or you could go to nwitimes.com. And um, I'm sure you will be following everything yes that happens in the whole world of, uh, of the courts <laughs> not in the whole world just is tiny it, lake county is it lake county court yeah. okay um mm-hmm. yeah well i very much appreciate you taking some time to chat with me okay hopefully i've been interesting i think i i don't think you have to worry about that okay. hopefully i've been coherent okay. so. <laughs>